0: Do you ever feel like nobody notices you? Even if you're in a crowd of people, you might have this little voice in your head that says, there's nothing about me that stands out. Nobody notices me. I think there's something in every single person that wants to be seen, that wants to be noticed, which is why we're calling this series Out of the Crowd. Jesus had this amazing ability to see people. Even people who didn't want to be seen, Jesus saw them, and he would call them out of the crowd. For example, one time a man named Zacchaeus, who you've probably heard was rather short, couldn't see Jesus through the crowd, and so he climbed up in a tree and somehow Jesus saw him. And out of the crowd, he called Zacchaeus down, went to Zacchaeus' house for dinner, and it changed Zacchaeus' life. I wonder if it would be possible today as you sit in a crowd at Blaine or Ham Lake or Anoka or Spring Lake Park, here at Lionel Lakes, at White Bear Lake or Woodbury, as you sit in a crowd at Rochester or Apple Valley or Wyzetta or even online, that there is a God who sees you, a God who knows you, and a God who calls you out of the crowd. Forgive me, because I've told this story before, but it's good for me to remind my wife every couple of years that this took place. But on October 6, 2001, I proposed to Sarah. And my proposal was a little bit unconventional. I rented a U-Haul truck. And I filled the back of the U-Haul truck with 50 red roses, pictures of Sarah and me, and candles everywhere. Looked like a Hindu shrine, basically, in the back of this U-Haul truck. And the way that it worked was my roommates picked her up. I can't believe I had her ride in the back of a U-Haul truck. This is like the 21-year-old's version of a limo. But we put her in the back of the U-Haul truck. And my roommates were going to take her to places that were significant in our relationship. It's kind of like a scavenger hunt. So one of the places that they went was Peavy Plaza in downtown Minneapolis, and one of my friends was down there dressed up as a street person, and he was playing his guitar and singing Sarah and I's song, which I'm half proud, half embarrassed to tell you was Phil Collins' It's a Groovy Kind of Love. Great song for any couple. The last stop was a dock off of Lake Minnetonka, where we had gone on several dates with one another and my roommates dropped her off and then they drove around to the beach and they set fireworks off over Lake Minnetonka. So after watching this mini fireworks show, I got down on one knee and I quoted from Psalm 37 verse four which says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I looked at Sarah and I said, I have been delighting in the Lord and you are the desire of my heart, will you marry me? Bam, that's pretty good. (laughs) I think I don't know. Felt pretty good at the time. Oh, you don't need to clap, please don't. There's much better things coming here. Hopefully, as we talk about God. Uh, but here's the thing about that: it would have been really bad if she had said no. I mean, that would have been a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of work if she would have said no. But here's the interesting thing: I kind of knew she was going to say yes. She had been giving me little subtle hints along the way, like, why, "When are you going to propose?" And, and I, was, I was picking up on that. I, it took me a little while, but I started to kind of, eh, I'm feeling this out. And so I knew she was going to say yes before I even asked. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says this. He says, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us. And then he gives some specific names, Silas Timothy. He says he was not yes and no, but in him it has always been Yes. What that means is that God's not wavering about you. God's not like, well, I don't know. Is it a yes? Is it a no? Yeah, I'm not really sure. God is a yes. Does God want a relationship with you? Yes. Does God love you? Yes. Just like I knew that Sarah was going to say yes before I even proposed, you can know that God is going to say yes to you as well. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Paul writes these words, he said, God chose us before the creation of the world. In other words, before we had ever said yes to God, God had said yes to us. That before the creation of the world, there was a God who knew you and who saw you and who called you out of the crowd. But here's the question I want to ask each of us today, and it's this, have you said yes to God? The harsh reality is, of the billions of people on this planet, not everybody is going to heaven. And I know we don't like to think about that or talk about that, but if that were true, then why did God have to send his son Jesus to die for our sins? That wouldn't have made any sense if everybody simply went to heaven. The truth is, of the billions of people on planet Earth, there are many who look at God and they say, Thank you. Thank you for life, thank you for breath, thank you for sending Jesus, thank you for all the blessings in my life, but no thanks. I just want to do what I want to do, and I don't want you to tell me what to do, and I'm going to ignore you, I'm going to dismiss you, and they reject God's proposal. They reject God's love, and they refuse to say yes. There's one point that I hope that you'll remember from today's message, it's this. We have no idea what hangs in the balance of a single decision. We have no idea what hangs in the balance in one moment of looking at God and saying, yes, I'll do that, God. We have no idea what hangs in the balance of one moment of looking at Jesus Christ and saying, yes, I will follow. This is nowhere more apparent than in the story we're going to look at in the Bible today. It's found in Matthew chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 5. And if you're kind of new to the Bible, there's four different gospels. Those are the accounts of Jesus's life. And oftentimes, they'll tell the same story, but they tell it from a different perspective, or they'll give some different details. That's true in this story. We'll, we'll look at it in Matthew chapter 4 to start. It says this, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter. So his name was Simon. Later, it's changed to Peter, but that's one and the same person. And his brother Andrew, they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. I remember reading this in college, and I'm just picturing these two brothers, and they're in a boat, and they're cleaning out their nets, and some apparently random guy walks by and says, follow me. And they're like, hmm, okay. And then they just go and start following him. And in the next verse, it says, going from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called to them, presumably said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So there's these two brothers with their dad. They own a family fishing business. They're cleaning out their nets. Some guy walks by and says, hey, follow me. And they look at their dad and go, good luck with the family business. And they just take off. I mean, if my kids came to me and were like, hey, dad, we met this guy, long hair, sandals. And he looked at us and he said, come follow me. Hug mom, goodbye for us. I'm calling the cops. Okay, this is just not normal kind of behavior (laughs) thankfully Luke gives some additional details it's not that Matthew was wrong it's just that Luke gives some more context and fills in some of the gaps turns out that prior to this Jesus had been speaking to a crowd and so many people gathered that Jesus looked to Peter and he said Peter can you loan me your boat so I can get in the boat push me out a ways so that more people can kind of come on the shore and hear me teach so this wasn't the first time that Peter had ever locked eyes with Jesus or seen Jesus. In fact, he had heard him teach. Here's what it said happened after Jesus finished speaking. So when he finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, now go out to where it's deeper and let down your nets and you will catch many fish. I love this because Peter is a fisherman. This is what he does for a living. He does it every day. Jesus is a rabbi, we might call him today like a pastor, a preacher, you know, something along those like lines of work, and here he is, the pastor, the rabbi, looking at the fisherman and going, throw your net down over there, you're going to catch many fish. And as you can imagine, Peter looks at him and goes, Jesus, I uh, I don't know about this, here's what he says, he says, master, we worked hard all last night, we didn't catch a thing. I don't, you maybe don't know anything about fishing, Jesus, but let me just fill you in here. It's the Sea of Galilee. And during the day when it's warm, the fish want a cooler place. They go to deeper parts of the sea. They're not moving much. Last night when fish are normally out biting and eating, we were out there. We didn't catch a single fish. So now you're telling me, oh, cast your nets down over there and, and we're going to catch many fish. But here's what Peter said next. This is fascinating. He said, but if you say so, we'll try again. Peter had no idea what hung in the balance of that one single decision. That one single decision to look at Jesus and say, yes, I'll do it. Because not only did his nets fill up, but he came to discover that Jesus was the son of God and Peter went on to lead the early church. He had no idea what hung in the balance of that single decision. And here's what I believe is true for each of us. We have no idea what hangs in the balance of a single decision. What if Jesus could have pulled back the curtain on human history and said to Peter, Hey, Peter, look at this thing. You ever seen anything like that before? You know what that is? That's St. Peter's Basilica. And guess what? You're St. Peter." I mean, they're going to take 118 years to build that bad boy. They're going to put it right over your tomb. And people from all around the world are going to come and visit. And even more importantly, Peter, you are going to lead a worldwide movement that will change billions of people's lives. Do you think you want to throw your nets down over there, Peter? Yeah, I do. You can have my whole boat. I mean, whatever you want, Jesus. He had no idea what hung in the balance of that single decision. Peter was an ordinary fisherman. He wasn't the one that we probably would have chosen as one of our 12 followers or disciples. He was just an ordinary fisherman. He wasn't a famous actor or actress. He wasn't an athlete. He didn't have lots of money. He wasn't an influencer. He wasn't highly intellectual. He wasn't a rabbi or spiritual leader of some sort. He was simply a fisherman. But here's what we need to know today. God does some of his best work with ordinary people like you and like me. Ordinary people who are willing to say yes to God, who are willing to say, yes, I will follow. I will do what you've asked me to do. God says, I'm going to do something extraordinary in your life. And so Today, I want to show you two areas I hope each of us will say yes to God in and- and the first one is this, I hope you will say yes to follow Jesus. Look at how Matthew says this again. Come follow me, Jesus said. That was his primary message. Here's what is true. Jesus wants followers, not consumers. I was talking to a woman one time and she told me, she said, I, don't, I only read the Psalms in the Bible. I said, really? Why is that? She said, well, because the Psalms are encouraging and they make me feel good about myself. She said, other parts of the Bible, it talks about sin and disobedience and judgment and those things, I don't feel very good when I'm reading that, so I just don't read those things. I thought, that's a consumer. A consumer says, God, I'll go where you want me to go as long as I was going there anyway. I'll do what you want me to do as long as I wanted to do it anyway. I mean, I'll believe whatever you say to believe, God, as long as I already agree with it. Otherwise, I'm just going to cut it out. Thomas Jefferson, our third president, he did this. He took a scissors to the Bible. He cut out verses that he did not like or agree with, and he re-released the Jefferson Bible. It's a consumer. In John chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus had just gotten done multiplying a few loaves of bread and fish in order to feed 5,000 people. And when he's done, he travels to a different village and a crowd follows him. And Jesus had this ability to call someone out of the crowd, but he also had the ability to confront a crowd. And so Jesus looks at this crowd of people who's following him and he says this, here's the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you saw the miraculous signs. He says, you're you're following me right now, not because you believe I'm the son of God, but because you're hungry again, and you want some free food. It's a sign of a consumer. Several years ago, Quick Trip opened a new gas station down the street from my house, and on the opening weekend, they had several deals that were meant to kind of get people in the door. And this was also during the polar vortex. you remember this or not, but they shut down schools and they told people, if you leave your house, you're going to die. But I'm looking at these deals that they had a quick trip. And I'm like, I'm willing to risk death for that. And so I packed up the kids in the car. We went Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, four days in a row. It was like the highlight of our polar vortex. Kids came to school and they were like, we didn't play puzzles or games. We went to quick trip. And I'll tell you what, they had different deals every day. So one of the days you could get six donuts for a dollar. I got 18 donuts for $3. One of the days you could get a free gallon of milk. Now I have five kids. One day we went and we got 18 donuts, a gallon of milk, two chicken sandwiches, and five hot chocolates for $4. And don't judge me because I met a lot of Eagle Brook people when I was there. But here's what I noticed. When the deals were done, I stopped going. I had a Shell gas station card. That's where I was just in the habit of getting my gas. I was a follower at Shell. I was a consumer at Quick Trip. Jesus looks at this crowd and he says, that's you. You're not following me because you believe that I'm the son of God. You're simply following me because you're hungry. You want free food. You are a consumer. I don't know if you've been tracking what happened in Asbury University in Kentucky or not. But on February 8th, a speaker got up at their chapel service and gave a message. And when the message was done, a group of about 20 students gathered off to the side. And they continued to pray and confess their sins to one another and worship God. And other students noticed what these 20 students were doing and it impacted them. And so other students began to join in, and the next thing you knew was what is being called the Asbury Revival. For two straight weeks, 24 hours a day, 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, 24 hours a day for two straight weeks, people gathered in the chapel at Asbury University to confess their sins, to pray together, and to worship God. Wilmore, Kentucky, which is where Asbury is located, is a town of 6,000 people. And during that two-week period of time, people around the world began to hear what these students were doing. And 60,000 people descended upon Asbury University. The hotels had no room for people to stay. The restaurants were turning people away and running out of food. 60,000 people from around the country and around the world came to a town called Wilmore, Kentucky of 6,000 people. And I read about this, and I watched videos about it, and I thought to myself, there is something in every single human being that wants to experience the power and the presence of God. That even if you're here today and you're not even sure what you believe about God, or if you're kind of cynical about Jesus and church and you know, ah, this fairy tale, you know, make-believe guy in the sky, I'd be willing to bet that even you, if you knew that you could see it with your own eyes, And you could experience it yourself. If you could experience the power and the presence of God's Holy Spirit, I'm guessing you'd say, yeah, I'd drive to that. I'd get in the car and drive to Wilmore, Kentucky to experience that, to see for myself if if that was true. And what I want you to know today is that you don't have to drive to Wilmore, Kentucky. You can experience the power and the presence of God in your life right where you're at. The speaker who spoke at chapel that day, he got done and he told some of his colleagues, he said, man, I whiffed on that sermon. He said, it wasn't very good. It was just a simple message. It was repent of your sins and follow Jesus. It's a message that's been preached in churches for thousands of years. You say, well, maybe he said it a little different. Not really. It's just a really simple message. Turn from your sins and follow Jesus. The difference wasn't the message. The difference was 20 students who got done with the message and said, I'm not a consumer, I'm a follower. 20 students who said, I'm not just here to listen and hear, I want to do it. I don't want to just love God in words and in speech, but I want to love God in my actions and in truth. And they inspired 60,000 people and a movement of God. If you want to experience a revival in your heart and in your home, what if you begin to confess your sins to another person? Peter and Andrew had to leave something behind to follow Jesus. They had to leave behind their nets. They had to leave behind their boat. They had to leave behind their fishing business. What is it today that you need to leave behind? Maybe it's your old life. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's a situation or circumstance that you keep putting yourself in. But what do you need to leave behind? And then how could you take a step to follow Jesus in a fresh way? To say, God, I will go. I will do that. I will say yes to following you. Here's the second area that I hope you'll say yes to God, and it's this, to fish for people. I love the simplicity and the power of Jesus' words here. He says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. That is the mission and the purpose of every single human being's life. It is to follow Jesus and fish for people. If you're here today and you're in your 20s or you're just trying to figure out life, and you're like, man, what's my purpose? What's the meaning of my life? You don't need to go climb a mountain over in East Asia someplace. You don't need to go on a darkness retreat like Aaron Rodgers did and sit in a dark room for four days trying to figure out the direction You need to follow Jesus and fish for people. Jesus said that is the mission and purpose of every single human being's life. I'll tell students sometimes, I don't sit in your science class. That kid who sits next to you who is struggling and who needs to know Jesus, I will never have the opportunity to talk to them or invite them to church. But you will. I don't work where you work. My office isn't down the hall from that person who's going through a divorce and needs some hope in their life. My cubicle isn't next to that person who's struggling with anxiety. I don't work at Starbucks alongside the barista who's been dating kind of the wrong people and trying to figure things out. I I will never have the opportunity to talk to them about Jesus or invite them to church. But you will. I had an email that came across uh, my desk a couple months ago. And it was a really moving story. It was about a dad uh, whose son invited him to come to Eaglebrook Church, but the dad lived in Tennessee and the son lived in Minnesota. And so the dad started watching our services online. He said it was amazing to, to be able to experience church with my son every weekend. But then his oldest son, the older brother, became terminally ill and had to be checked into a nursing home, a care facility. And so the dad went and got his son a Roku TV so that he could watch the Eagle Brook service every week. He said, for the year before my son died, every Sunday afternoon, I would talk to both of my sons. And we would talk about the message and what God was doing in our life. I cherish that time. When his son passed away, the workers at the nursing home called him and they said, could we keep that Roku TV? And he said, Well, yeah, I guess, but, but why? And they said, I, I don't know if you knew this or not, but your son had invited many of the residents here to come to his room every Sunday to watch church. And it's changed some of their lives. And they wanted to keep coming to church and just wondered if they could keep that Roku TV. Peter was an ordinary fisherman. This this older brother, older son is an ordinary person who's in his last days of life living in a care facility. But he's following Jesus and he's fishing for people and God is using an ordinary life to do extraordinary things. In the 1930s, the largest church In the state of Minnesota was First Baptist Church of Minneapolis. There was about 3,000 people who attended in the 1930s, including someone named Billy Graham. But over time, First Baptist Church changed its name to River City Church. And coming out of COVID and the unrest in Minneapolis, they looked at their church building and they said, this just doesn't fit our ministry needs anymore. And so they contacted us and said, would you be willing to buy our building and launch a campus in Minneapolis? And as many of you know, we said yes. It's been interesting to hear people outside of our church kind of talk about this. Not necessarily talking about people who go to our church, but I've heard one of two extremes. The one extreme over here says, oh, there's all this crime in Minneapolis, and I'm not going to that thing. And I just say, well, hey, you know, we'd love for anybody who wants to come to come. But really, we're doing it for the people who live there, and they're there already. Then on the other extreme, I've heard people kind of cynically say, like, oh, big megachurch, suburban, all your money, think you're just going to come in downtown. And my response to them is, I know we're not the Savior, Jesus is. We're simply there to serve. But what's been interesting to me is that neither of those two lines of reasoning played into our decision at all. The reason why we were excited to put a campus in Minneapolis is because there's over 400,000 people who live in Minneapolis proper. And those are 400,000 people that I believe Jesus loves. Those are 400,000 people that God may have chosen, that if they would hear a message that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins and they could have eternal life and hope for today, that they might just say yes. We wanted to put a campus in Minneapolis because we believe that God looks at every single human being and lovingly says, follow me. As you may remember, we were scheduled to open this Minneapolis campus shortly after Easter, but we've had some supply chain issues. But I do have a firm grand opening date for you, and it's September 10th of this year. September 10th, a Sunday, 2003, we will, 2023, I wish it was 2003, I'd be a lot younger, 2023, we will be launching an Eagle Brook campus in Minneapolis. And I want to show you some of the work that we've been doing on this building. This is kind of the before, and then now you can see here the after. They're doing a lot of work on it. We're keeping kind of the historical character and feel of it, but we're also updating uh, some pieces to make it a little bit nicer. But here's the part I want to show you that's exciting. The sign is up on the outside. If you drive through downtown Minneapolis, you will see the sign Eagle Brook Church. And here's what you need to know about this. Our goal is not to spread the name of Eagle Brook Church. Our goal is to spread the name of Jesus Christ. When I was in college and I felt led to go into ministry, I never heard God say to me, hey, use your life to spread the name of Eagle Brook. But what I did feel like I heard God say was use your life to spread the name of Jesus Christ. And that's why we want to have a campus in Minneapolis. And that's not the only campus that we're launching this fall. You don't know this yet, but take a look at the side screens.
1: Our mission at Eaglebrook: we're empowered by God to reach people for Christ. And what I love about this church is that we'll do whatever it takes. Last year, the board from LifePoint Church in Maplewood, Minnesota reached out to us. Their team was facing some challenging decisions about their future, and as they prayed and pursued their next steps, it became clear to them that they should sell their building to Eagle Brook so that we can begin a new chapter of ministry in this community. Now, this isn't the first time a church has done this. Spring Lake Park, Ham Lake, Minneapolis, all were the result of other churches looking for a new beginning in one way or another. And every time we receive a request like this, we bring it before the Lord and ask, is this something you want us to pursue? The answer, by the way, isn't always yes. But this time, we felt an undeniable move of God to keep moving forward. And we wanna share a little bit of the history with you by talking to someone who's been a part of this church. Hey Ross, thanks for being here. Tell us about your history with this church.
2: Uh, Well, I'm currently serving as the Chairman of the Board of Stewards here at LifePoint. Started attending 30 years ago. In that time, we've raised a family, we have two young sons, and it's just really been a great place for us. That's great. Tell us about who LifePoint is. You know, we're about to celebrate our 150th anniversary as a church. Started back in 1863. It was 1963 that we built this facility. And God has just really been faithful to us. I think the best way I would describe our church is we are a church of service. We love to serve the Lord and to serve
1: our community. So take us behind the scenes a little bit. What was some of those conversations like when LifePoint first decided to reach out to Eagleburg?
2: Yeah, certainly. we. We found that we'd been dwindling, and I think that's maybe a little common in churches, but we had to figure out what we wanted to do to go forward. And one thing we knew for certain was we want this to remain a church. We want the gospel to continue to be proclaimed from here. Uh, we explored a couple options, and ultimately where we felt led to go was to reach out to Eaglebrook. We've done so, and uh, things are going well. We're really excited about it.
1: That's great. Well, our our hope and our commitment to the people of LifePoint is that we're going to do whatever it takes to reach people and to proclaim that gospel on this corner of 36 in Edgerton. So thank you for your sacrifice and your humility.
2: Oh, absolutely. Thank you.
0: We are excited to open a campus in Maplewood, Minnesota, really excited to see what God is doing. But here's what has struck me about this, it's the legacy. It's the line. Two thousand years ago, Jesus saw two brothers, Andrew and Peter, cleaning some fish out of their nets. He looked at them and said, come follow me. And they had no idea what hung in the balance when they said yes to following him. They began to follow Jesus and fish for people. One thousand nine hundred and thirty years or so later. A group of people in Minneapolis said, Let's plant a church that will follow Jesus and fish for people. 1960 years or so later, a church in Maplewood, Minnesota said, We want to plant a church that is going to follow Jesus and fish for people. And now, 2,000 some years later, Eaglebrook Church, our church, gets to grab that baton. And say, we will follow Jesus and we will continue to fish for people. You might be here today and say, I'm just kind of an ordinary person. I mean, I'm an electrician. I work at a radio station doing some behind the scenes tech stuff. I'm a financial advisor. I'm a real estate agent. I'm a parent. I'm a teacher. I'm a student. I mean, there's nothing about my life that's all that extraordinary. But you need to know today that God does some of his best work with ordinary people. Ordinary people like you and like me, that if we are willing to say yes to follow Jesus and fish for people, he will do something extraordinary through our life. So today, the two questions I want to ask you is this. Will you say yes to following Jesus? And maybe you've already started to follow Jesus and you've made that commitment to him. But will you say yes to following him in a fresh way? Will you say yes to leaving an old life behind? Will you say yes to leaving a sin behind or confessing it to another person? Will you say yes when God says, I want you to do this. I want you to go there. I want you to give to this person. Will you be willing to say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. And the second question I want to ask is this. Are we fishing for people? When was the last time we threw out our net? When was the last time we made a cast? When was the last time we cared enough about another person's eternity that we were willing to talk to them about our faith in Jesus Christ or invite them to church? Easter is coming up in four weeks, and I'm telling you, it is a time of year when people are open to talking about God and receiving an invitation to church. What if every single one of us said, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to fish for people and I'm going to start praying right now that God would lead me and God would direct me to the right person to bring with me to that service. Will we say yes to follow Jesus and fish for people? Let's pray together at all of our campuses. God, sometimes we just feel like our life is so ordinary, but God, it is a truth that you do some of your best work through ordinary people, that you can do something extraordinary through a a human life, a human heart that says, yes, Jesus, I will follow you and fish for people. And so God, right now, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would open our hearts to you, that we would be the ones willing to say yes. That we would be like those 20 students at Asbury University who said, we're not just going to listen to the word, we're going to do it. We're not just going to consume, we're going to follow. God, I pray that you would speak to us and that we would experience the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit in our life as we say yes. And God, there are people out there who have never had the chance to hear about you or really say yes to you. But God, they need to know. They need to know your love and your power and your ability to transform a human heart. And God, I believe that you want to use us to do that. So Lord, I pray right now that you would bring a face, a a name to our mind. And God, that this week we would begin to pray for that person and you would give us an opportunity to talk to them or invite them. Because, God, you look at every single human being and you say, follow me. And So, God, right now, we say yes. We follow after you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, next weekend, Kyle Eidelman, guest speaker. We've had him in the past. People really enjoy him. He'll take us in the second week of this series out of the crowd. We'll see you then.